Welcome to the EFCA West podcast. I'm Tim Jacobs, District Superintendent of EFCA West and your host of today's podcast as we speak with the one, the only, Larry Osborne of North Coast Church on the subject of politics, the church, and the 2020 election. Now, this episode is a little different because it is a recording of a Wednesday workshop we had on Zoom with Larry on September 2nd of 2020, and we were able to take questions from those in attendance. Our Wednesday workshops, by the way, are once a month, the first Wednesday of the month, and you're always welcomed to check them out. But our subject today could not be more relevant as we get a ton of wisdom from Larry on matters such as what is the role of politics in the church? What should we say from the platform or in communications about the election? And is this the most divided time in terms of presidential elections that we've seen? And what about all that we say on social media and our staff and subordinates, what they write on social media? Should, should we be able to speak into that? Do they represent our organizations? And what should we do if things go a little haywire? So I think you'll have a lot of things clarified in your mind so that you can become a more effective and courageous leader in this chaotic climate in which we live. So let's go now to my interview with Larry Osborne. And we are going to be talking today with Larry Osborne. Larry just hopped on. And Larry, as you know, is the uh, senior pastor of one of the senior pastors of North Coast Church. And, and we're going to be talking about the subject of politics, the church, and the 2020 election. And I can tell by how many people are registered and coming in that this is a an extremely hot topic. The other thing we're doing too, just so you know, the reason I have my headphones on and this microphone thing is we're I'm going to record this on Zoom, but it's also going to be in podcast form. So there'll be a, a good quality audio version of this later that you can listen to and share. And if you haven't uh, subscribed to the EFCA West podcast or listened to it, we just started it a couple months ago and we've got some cool stuff on there. We're getting a lot of interesting people to talk with. So um, we'd love to be able to keep up with you on that. So Larry, Larry Osborne, are you here, sir? There we go. Can you hear me? Yes. All right. Can hear you. So welcome. Thanks so much for being with us today, Larry. I'm glad I could be. I hope everybody feels that way after we're done. <laughs> Absolutely. So I just want to jump into it. And by the way, too, I want to let you know, um, if you have a question, we have the chat box open. We'll try to monitor these questions as best as we can. So just let them fly. We'll try to maybe collate them a little bit. And uh, But please don't be shy. Use that chat box. But Larry, I just want to start off and ask you, I mean, obviously you've been you've been in this business for a while. You've been through a lot of presidential elections, a lot of political seasons. And obviously we have an election coming up in about eight weeks or so. And the whole thing just feels like a powder keg right now. Um, is this as bad as you've ever seen it in terms of the division and the heightened emotions? Uh, culturally, yes. Uh, election, no. Um one of the, there's a lot of downsides about being around a long time, but there's a few upsides because you have a perspective of things that you've uh, experienced and seen. Uh, and there have been other elections, especially from the evangelical viewpoint, that have been absolutely as volatile as this one. Uh, I'm not sure from a whole cultural viewpoint, but from a, a, a church viewpoint, absolutely. There have been a few others that... Uh, uh, really created the kind of emotion that uh, this one has and will. Yeah. And so, I mean, as as we look ahead to this, I just want to ask a general question to you and just kind of have you spend some time helping us through this. In, in your mind, the whole issue of politics, I mean, where where does it fit in the church? How, how should we as pastors and church leaders um, deal with this subject as it relates to our church? Well, the, the first thing I, I would say is uh, in the body of Christ, there's going to be different answers to that question. And one of the things that uh, kind of breaks my heart more than anything else is our inability uh, to let the body of Christ be the body of Christ, uh, our tendency to think everybody else must be us. Uh, so I want to frame everything I say within, within that framework, because God will call individuals and a particular body of believers to be slightly different uh, than another. And the, the problem tends to be, we think of each of our churches as if we're the kingdom. 
and all we are is we're just one franchise uh, in the body of Christ. Uh, I used to always like to say at North Coast that we are uh, just one Sunday school elective class in God's great church in, in San Diego. Uh, and if we remember that, we're not so concerned that every elective class isn't doing everything that we're doing. Uh, imagine you're the pastor of a, a old school church with a um, kind of huge adult Sunday school elective program. It's a larger church. You would with pride point out the differences between the different classes. Uh, but instead, uh, with uh, animosity, we point out the differences sometimes in our churches. So having said that, I'll answer it within the framework of what I think is most generally best and how God has worked uh, kind of in my own background. But if God has really called somebody to something different, then I go, you better do what God called you to. The thing you want to make sure you don't do is uh, just follow the herd, uh, follow the crowd or give in to the pressure. Uh, in most cases, uh, I learned this very early in my ministry, that if I, I wasn't careful uh, and I, I took uh, political stands that were very, very biblical, that what I was doing was undercutting my ability to reach people who had not yet come to that conclusion. Uh, I, I remember a very early election that we were passing out uh, uh, Christian voter guides, not we, but someone in our church was. And uh, after the service, I, I saw it, and I grabbed one, and I looked at it, and I remember on that particular one, and this was my turning point uh, as a leader of the church, uh, it had two issues uh, when it talked about uh, the two candidates for president, where they stood, that jumped out at me. One of them was the Panama Canal, should we cede it to Panama or hold on to it, and the other was gun control. And I thought, man, I've studied the Bible a ton but I'm not sure uh, where I got that verse on gun control and where I got that verse on the Panama Canal. Uh, and, and that was my first aha, that uh, if I'm not careful, these things get blended in the eyes of all of our people. Mm -hmm. uh, and so uh, I, I believe if we want to do the work of an evangelist, uh, that we uh, have to be careful that we don't play the role of a prophet. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I sometimes talk about four different roles that, uh, that uh, we can approach when it comes to, to politics. But in, in this culture right now, uh, the moment that we take a side on something, we're gonna get a lot of applause from someone else and we're gonna get tuned out by others. Uh, I don't mind angering people with the truth, but uh, I wanna reach lost people. And if I'm uh, uh, insisting that before they come to Jesus, they have all the right viewpoints, or I'm implying that by what they hear, uh, it's not very easy to reach them. So uh, I, I've tended to believe the church needs to stay the church and be apolitical. And as it truly creates disciples and become more like Jesus, uh, they're going to take that into the, uh, thank God we got this uh, democracy where we can actually have a vote and have a say. Uh, and I, there's a highly political, uh, used to, he's not here in San Diego anymore, but maybe one of the most political pastors in the country. And because of the size of North Coast, he was always on me you know, to take a stand for this and that, you know, Larry, you need to make a difference. And I kept telling him, uh, I'll call him Jim because his name was Jim. <laughs> I kept saying, Jim, we're, we're, we encourage our people to vote. They will vote a ton of them. We're not, no, we're not going to tell them how, but I guarantee you they're most, the vast majority are going to vote exactly like you want. And, uh, more of them, the next election will vote like you want. If you let me teach the word instead of get co-opted by politics. Hmm. Yeah. So, so how verbal or vocal are you about that from the platform or in communication with the congregation in terms of saying, Hey, we're, this is our stance. We're not going to tell you exactly like, how do you communicate that? Well, we communicated it uh, in uh, early years and uh, until probably five, six years ago uh, in what we call the pastor's class or a, 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 a information, you know, welcome to North Coast class, which was not a membership class because we wanted people f much earlier to understand why we did what we did the way we did it. Uh, and in that one, we always presented uh, kind of a little section of hobby horses that we are apolitical. I think as most of you know right now, I'm 1B, not 1A. Chris Brown has stepped in to have the helm at North Coast Church. And uh, Chris has uh, done that in messages. Uh, I've done that in messages over the past as we've grown so large and diverse with our uh, campuses, uh, this uh, a, a class on why we do what we do the way we do it, we have not found a good way to do that. 
uh, even pre-COVID, uh, that was hitting the numbers of people or percentages that we hit earlier. So it mostly shows up in messages and responses to people who send us the, the text message, the email, the communication card. Uh, we have a principle here that if you sign it, we'll answer it. Uh, and obviously there's more, a little bit of a cut and paste on something like that, you get a lot. But uh, one of the things I found, just a hot tip for those of you that are pastors, is instead of taking a whole long time to compose an email response, uh, I, I would always just send back, hey, uh, let me know your uh, cell phone number and some good times to call you. And in 10 minutes, I could communicate something that used to take 20 minutes and worse might get passed on and not say exactly what I wanted it to say. I could catch the inflections in their voice. It wasn't as good as face to face, but it was far better uh, than written back and forth. So when people feel strongly and Tim, that's really where the issue is. The one who feels strongly, why aren't you doing this? They've got their favorite radio person they're listening to or whatever. Uh, I, I found the numbers are small enough that if we just put on our pastor hat, we can go at the people one-on-one -on -one and be much more effective than if we aim at 10 people when we're preaching a sermon to hundreds. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you, you make a good point because a lot of times that that one, they're very loud. They're louder than the others. And we can tend to think that they're a bigger force than they really are right right and they don't communicate well on paper you know if they're a little angry they sound like they're incredibly angry uh you know we nuance that's one reason i never write uh anything when i'm frustrated or, or angry because people are going to exegete everything i say uh and uh they might have said uh something that's you know pretty hurtful or whatever and that's really not what they meant they're just trying to get the idea across so that's one more reason uh, my, my mentor, Wally Norling, uh, used to say, Larry, go towards your enemies, using that word broadly. Uh, and it was such great advice that when you go towards folks and you say, help me understand and you listen, it's, it's amazing how many times the people you think are all up in arms are not. I had three of them just this last week that I responded to with that exact, hey, let's talk. And uh, each one of them, I got a follow-up email thanking me. Uh, and yet they disagreed completely with what, you know, our, our stand was. Well, they yeah. understood it. Yeah. And if you don't mind, like, without being too specific, I mean, what, how did they disagree? Because I think that's where a lot of the reason that a lot of people are on right now is they're, they're in these kind of debates and arguments. Yeah. So, like, what was the nature of that? Sure. Well, the election's too far away right now for people to be going, why aren't we saying this and that? But it had to do with uh, whether we're open or not, how... Uh, you know, whether we're bowing the knee to Caesar by our response to uh, COVID right now. And and you can just catch in their wording. I know exactly who they're listening to. Uh, you know, like, okay, you're a fan of or you listen to. And instead of attacking that or broadly in a sermon uh, where I stop teaching the Bible and end up communicating to a small handful of people, uh, by the way, without dialogue, you just call and say, well, maybe... Uh, you might not be aware of this or or that aspect of it. Like I said, out of three I did this week, uh, I got three responses back. One of them said, I still completely disagree with you, but thank you so much for taking the time. I'm honored you did that. And at least I understand where you're coming from. Yeah, and That's I think great. the other two changed their mind. Huh, no kidding. Yeah, because they didn't have the full information. You know, yeah. they they only had what some other pastor had said about churches that haven't opened yet. So, And I, I like the way that you take that because, I mean, you think that a church your size would take like a one-off email or whatever and just say, hey, that's just one person. We're not going to deal with it or I don't have time for that stuff. But you personally take the time to respond, but you do it in a way that doesn't get into this like email back and forth craziness where you're up at 2 a.m., you know. Yeah, I don't want to give them rent-free space in my brain. Uh, <laughs> you know, let, like, let's just deal with it. And, and Chris Brown has always dealt with, you know, with our multiple senior pastor model in the past for a while, co, and then the transition. Uh, Chris's is uh, maybe even more so than me as far as getting back to people. One thing we believe, uh, I, I, you know, being as large as we are, people who don't know us are surprised. But a deep belief of ours is that... Uh, we're not big enough until everybody has come to know Jesus and, or we can't treat people as people. 
Mm. So the moment we're too big, the people can't get a, a response uh, and they're just a number. It's like, you know what? We need to close the doors. You, you never stop pastoring. You might have systems and stuff to do it, but, uh, you know, uh, I, I don't know how anybody on our preaching team could preach well to people if we've grown so large, we're isolated from people. Yeah, and I think that, that that's an important part of this whole conversation because it's not just the subject of politics itself. It's really a leadership conversation and how we deal with conflict in our church because I think that's what is driving so much of this. It's not just politics. It's the conflict that's come with politics and how I think a lot of pastors and leaders have just been totally broadsided by this in a way that they never, this is cutting across lines that we weren't expecting it to, right? It's dividing people in ways we weren't expecting them to be divided by. Yeah. And it's been going on for a long time. It's gotten worse. Like I said, I don't think this election in Christian circles is, there's others that have been as uh, filled with animosity, uh, but culturally, I would, yeah, definitely think we're more divided than ever as a whole about everything. Uh, but one of the things I think you can do uh, in your church is instead of addressing each issue as it comes up, uh, you can be constantly dripping in the simple principle that if we're truly making disciples like Jesus did, we're going to have in our church Matthew the tax collectors who are taking money from their fellow Jews for the damnable, godless Roman oppressors. And we're going to have Simon the Zealots, who are part of guerrilla warfare against the Roman oppressors. Mm. And uh, that, I mean, uh, if a church doesn't have multiple bumper stickers uh, in it, it's got a problem. Uh, it's, uh, excuse me, what, what are you reaching people? Uh, and so I, I find the more that uh, our teaching team, the three of us, can find ways to drop in reminders that the body of Christ is always divided and people don't become instantly mature in their viewpoint, including you <laughs> and me. Uh, hopefully we're learning new things. So one of the little bits of advice I give people, any of you who are uh, uh, teaching pastors, is, is don't just say, hey, remember Jesus had Matthew the tax collector and Simon the zealot. Uh, actually remind them each and every time what that means. And it's very brief. It might look like this. It's Hey, we got to remember that Jesus, when he picked his inner circle, picked a guy who was a Matthew tax collector collecting taxes to support the Roman oppressors and Simon the Zealot, who was part mm -hmm. of the guerrilla movement against them. And he made them room together on road trips. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. What's that? Yeah. 40 seconds. But you drip it in over and over. They begin to get the idea and make the connection. Well, and in that in, in that. Uh, example, you're not just mentioning the characters, you're going one level deeper to say what it is that they, where they were, because people don't know that stuff, right? Absolutely. We know it because we're so familiar with it. They yeah. don't. And yeah. they forget it the next time you mention it. <laughs> right. So, well, that's another thing altogether. That way. Right, right. So, you know, and so some of the questions that are coming through, um, so this is one... And I think I, I know where this question is coming from, but what strategy do you find helpful to engage those in the church who are making decisions based on American cultural values and priorities and claiming that they're biblical values and priorities? And I assume that this is talking about kind of the the evangelical um, God and country, whatever kind of right wing ish that gets blended into. That's what it means to be a Christian and, and deciphering that from now. What does it mean to truly be a disciple? How would you answer that? Well, I think a couple of things is, is one, just the Matthew and Simon thing brought up over and over helps them understand this is how a Christian views the world. But the, the more important part of dealing with issues like this that surface at times is you're going to have much more uh, impact and change lives if you drip biblical concepts in, as opposed to taking a fire hose and uh, spraying it all over the, the headlines of today's newspaper. Because when I, when I speak to today's issue, uh, and everybody tells you to do that. I mean, I've had that for, uh, you know, four decades of ministry. Yeah, how you got to do this. You got to do this. You got to do this. And the problem is when I speak to today's issue with biblical principles, people do not hear Bible. They hear today's issues. Yeah. When I drip those issues in, okay, so if, uh, let's just pick immigration. Uh, if if uh, when uh, the all the arguments about the wall, 
are going on. And I, I do a sermon on God's view of uh, taking care of the alien, treating everybody the same, et cetera, and it's hard for them. If I do that in light of the newspaper, I just guarantee you, you think you're playing the role of a prophet, and, and you are in speaking truth, but you're not playing the role of an evangelist in changing people. Uh, because they will not hear it in light of biblical principles. However, you can drip in all of these issues all day long. And by drip, I mean you see them a lot of times, just a little drop there, a little drop there. And that's what shifts people. Uh, people are, uh, I, I have asked probably literally thousands of pastors uh, over time. Uh, I do a talk sometimes called the Switzerland Principle. And I say, have said, how many of you at the end of a sermon have had somebody come up and say, thank you, I have totally changed my political view on that issue. <laughs> I've never had a hand raised. But right. I go, how many of you in your own life have gone from this viewpoint to that viewpoint and made those changes? So what I want to do is I want to pour the Bible, a renewed mind creates a transformed life. I want to pour the Bible into that God and country person mm -hmm. so that they begin to understand that being a patriot and, and being a Christian do not necessarily always have the same viewpoints, mm -hmm. uh, but I don't want to do it near the newspaper. Uh, mm -hmm. And that's why I call it the Switzerland principle. I'd rather have, and you will have, I'd rather have people very frustrated at me that you're, you're avoiding the issue than tuning me out. So I no longer have the ability to speak to them. Yeah. See, that's important. I think that's like one of those, you know, takeaway tweetable lines. I'd rather have, I'd rather have somebody frustrated at me, but will still listen. Then I say something and then now I've alienated. I think I've, right. Yeah. And again, I don't mind alienating or upsetting. The gospel is, is right. uh, draw some lines in the sands. But at, at the point is, I, I don't want you to stop listening. Mm -hmm. uh, when I do a little Switzerland talk, I sometimes talk about there's four different roles that a communicator can have uh, uh, in terms of this. And I, I go, you can be a prophet if you want. And what prophets do is they call out sin and tell uncomfortable truth to God's people, primarily. Um, and uh, that's cool if that's what God's called you to do. But don't forget, they all got killed, and then monuments built to them later, as Jesus pointed out. So don't expect to be uh, heard, expect to be killed. And uh, if you feel called uh, to wear a prophet's mantle, don't complain when you get a prophet's lot. Uh, and and I be believe me, I said at the beginning, don't forget what I said. I think some of us are called to do that. But a lot of us move that way because we read an article in Christianity Today or an article in some other journal or whatever, or some friends, or and, and we make a movement there, and God never called us to. Uh, the second group would be what I call bouncers, uh, and they want to keep the bad guys out. They're self-appointed spiritual watchdogs. You know, they teach the Bible more as binoculars to see who's in and out than a mirror to see what needs to change. Uh, a third group, uh, and three and four is I think where most of us are called to be, would be a spokesman. Uh, the press secretary clarifies the president's viewpoint. Uh, and the goal is to set the record straight and to clarify the misunderstanding. But there's very little recruiting going on, okay? It's just, it, it's almost, it's almost like I look at apologetics as an incredibly powerful tool to help wavering Christians get strong. It doesn't really take a lot of atheists and turn them into Christians, uh, but it's still a very important and powerful tool in our arsenal. And then there's do the work of evangelists, which in the pastoral epistles we're called to do as pastors, and that's the recruiter. Uh, and the recruiter's goal is to win over, not to shame, uh, to win over, not to isolate. Uh, and uh, that's, that's our job. Uh, you know, the Great Commission, go out making disciples, is not to find, we, we think discipleship is finding Christians and making them better Christians. <laughs> well, the Great Commission was not heard that way. It's find people totally opposed to Jesus, introduce them to Jesus, and take them on the pathway uh, to, uh, to following him. And if I'm going to do that, I got to watch my words. Uh, I can't do things that just turn people out because I push them to be more mature than they are. Well, and really, that's the the concept of the I've become all things to all men, so that by all possible means I might save some. And like I find myself when I'm talking to a more left leaning person and I'm trying to talk to them about Jesus, it's like I don't want to 
if I win them over on politically, it's it's over in terms of the conversation about Jesus. So it's like, what can like I try to think how many concessions can I give so that I can get the gospel through, right? I don't have to, or if the same thing with the right, like if I talk to a person on the right, it's like, well, what do we have to do? How do I get past all this? But in a sense, like it's kind of what you're saying that that uh, that persuader or um, what was the word that you used for the final the, the not the recruiter. the recruiter the recruiter yeah the recruiter says you know what do I have to do to get the gospel not just make it already kind of semi Christian better but a but how do I get the gospel through and I think it's what a lot of our a lot of the guys on on this call a lot of the the leaders on this call are dealing with so um, uh, for example let me go to Mike Davis's question. Um, and is what guidelines, this is like a technical question, what guidelines do you have for staff regarding political postings on social media? Because that can be something that can turn a lot of people off as well. What do you guys do? Oh, man, I run, I run into that all the time. I have a number of pastors. I have a coaching or client type relationship with, and every single one of them, we have to deal with that. Uh, and, and bottom line, uh, the moment you step on staff uh, and as a, a pastoral role here at North Coast, then you are 24 seven representing North Coast. And so if you feel the need to socially post things uh, that are your viewpoint, that's great, Why don't, but you're gonna have to step aside from your job. And then they'll go, oh, you're squashing me. We go, no, we're not squashing. You can say whatever you want. Part of this role is that you are representing North Coast Church and Jesus Christ. And people are, are reading your post in light of your position. Uh, constantly. And so you could make a choice. Well, actually, one guy step off the staff over that. Still goes to North Coast. It's like, okay. Wow. But we're pretty tough on that one. Uh, that, uh, you know, every job has that. I don't know why some of our staff members think they, they don't. I go, you can have every opinion you want, but you have chosen to take this viewpoint and you, you can't live a, a life in two worlds. Mm-hmm. So, so let, me, let me say one other thing about it anyway. I'm always telling people, uh, I mentioned in a sermon not too long ago, I go, hey, we need the rule that we pray for the, we pray three times and post once. But what we're doing is we're posting and never praying. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and the other question I asked to the people who want to post all this stuff, who are you talking to? Your friends already hold that viewpoint. The other people you're just turning off. It's like you're not convincing anybody. You're just getting it off your chest. And being a follower of Jesus doesn't give me the right to just run around getting stuff off my chest. Mm-hmm. So I appreciate that you guys are are intentional with your staff about this. And Part of our handbook. Okay. Oh, it's in your handbook. Yeah, that's good. It should be. It should be in everybody's handbook to have a social media policy. Yeah, you you need to deal with it on the front side, not the back side. Let me let me give you all a principle of this thing. Uh on the voter guides, the reason I said earlier that I w- would always talk about us being apolitical in our uh, Welcome to North Coast class is because when I said it in the class, people were like this. And by the time I ended up explaining, they're going, huh, that makes sense. However, if I stopped you while you were passing out a voter guide and gave you the same spiel, there's no way I'd change your mind. So you have to talk to people on the front end about these kind of things, not after they've crossed a line and, and they're, they're not going to listen because you're not dealing with the principle anymore. You're dealing with the issue. That's the same reason why I say you don't preach to the newspaper. You preach to the Bible uh, because people are changed by principles, but they're, they're, they're cemented into their viewpoint of issues. Yeah. And so translating that to churches that maybe don't have, maybe they have lay leaders and you're a small church that can't even afford staff. I mean, how do you do, how do you deal with that? Cause you said step off staff. So how does it yeah. translate to volunteers? Well, and if, for all of you to know, I spent five years as the only person on staff, <laughs> you know, so uh, North coast didn't explode right away. So I know what if five year point, I hired my first part-time person. So I know what it is to be in that situation. At that point, it's a different role. I can talk to those people. I can't control them uh, because it's not their job. Uh, So I would talk to an elder. I might encourage an elder to step off the board or see, you know, especially one who's really raucous and creating problems. Uh, But part of it is is people don't realize, I've been saying this for probably 15 years. 
And it seems like only the last three or four years, people have nod their head in agreement. We live in a culture in which people's political views are held stronger than their religious views. Mm -hmm. And I can pretty much prove the point in the last 15 years, I bet none of you know someone who married across political lines, but you know people who married across faith lines. And so that's why the issue is so intense. We've so confused the things that in in, uh, probably for 15 plus years, uh, there's been a shift. And uh, what I am politically is more my identity than what I am spiritually. Yeah. Since we're not talking to mature people, we're leading them to Jesus. Guess what? They reflect the culture. Yeah, I I feel like that... And I think this from the nature of the questions we're getting, that seems to be the the idol. In fact, Mike Kalani is asking the question, how have you had success in rebuking idolizing politics, encouraging political action and identifying separating political and biblical concepts? And again, that's the that seems to be the thing we're returning to this diff, helping our, our, our congregation separate American values, quote unquote, from biblical values. And, and the idolization of politics. How, how have you had success in that? I, I don't have a lot of success with that, except for over a long period of time, because that's whatever culture we're in, that's how people see the world. So, uh, for instance, Hey, quit idolizing. The th- it, it, they don't even see it as idolizing. But if you can teach them to show grace and that those who, who are, you're, you're afraid if they get elected, what will happen on either side? Uh, if, if you can realize there are people we're called to win over, not wipe out. If you can help them understand they deserve grace, uh, that's, that's how you get to changing their viewpoint, not by attacking their viewpoint. See, and this is, I'm so glad you said that because I, th- I think that's a huge point that I want everyone to really make sure you got because I think we do go after like, well, how do we get them to stop being so hardcore in their political beliefs? And that's probably not going to happen. It's how do we get them to have more grace towards the other? And I think, Larry, I mean, look what we're seeing in the streets right now with with Antifa and these things that are that are, are posing like existential threats to to how people live. And it's like. I think we're really being tested. Like you mean, I have to, I have to love that person. Like, I, like I would rather convert that person than kill them. You know what I mean? Because there's a lot of anger out there towards this, and I think th- this is the this it's ramping up in terms of how people are feeling, and I think that's what we're our and, guys are. Yeah. And, and and Tim, part of it is is we often take on an Old Testament rather than a New Testament perspective. So again, we want to be prophetic and we're blasting out to the culture and we forget the prophets were speaking to the nation of Israel. Okay. And in the New Testament, you don't have anybody speaking to Rome. They have, you have them speaking to Christians. Hmm. Uh, in fact, in 1 Corinthians 5, the church discipline passage that says, don't ignore high-handed sin. Uh, he says, what have I to do with judging outsiders? God will judge them. You remove the man from... so. So we've had this problem that we've taken an Old Testament model, which was about the nation of Israel. And uh, and what we've done is we've carried it over, and yet there's no evidence in the book of Acts or any epistles uh, of them proclaiming uh, to Rome. You know, you got Romans 1 where he says, let me tell you what's happening in Rome, <laughs> where you have the downward cycle of a godless culture, and this is how we've gotten where we've gotten. But... Uh, you know, my job is to, I have a friend who does it this way. I love it. Imagine a continuum and you have minus three, a God hater. That's Nebuchadnezzar. 
demon-worshipping king, uh, mocking, uh, attacking God's temple, taking things from the temple, putting them in his demon God's temple to mock God. Uh, that's Saul, the killer of Christians. That's minus three. I want to get a minus two, minus one, zero. Okay, they're a follower of Jesus, but sucky. That's Joseph of Arimathea. According to John, the Bible says he was a disciple, but he was a secret one because he was afraid of what he'd lose until he stepped forward. I think we'd all call that not the uh, best uh, uh, disciple we've ever had. And then I want him to move him to plus one, plus two, plus three. Okay, finally step forward, say, you can bury the body in my tomb. Find that, you know, all the way Saul uh, becomes Paul an apostle. Nebuchadnezzar declares God most high to be God most high. Uh, th that's my goal. Uh, and I, you know, change, changing culture, I want to be, I'm lucky to be involved in it. So are every one of us. But at the end of the day, that's not solving the problem. Yeah. So then this is another question related to this um, from, uh, from Mike. And, and I, I really I resonate with this because churches are being, in terms of the area of racial justice, if we kind of, because this is all connected. I think this whole COVID thing and the politics and the race, it's all just connected, right? And But he says, churches are being rebuked for not saying more politically. In other words, you've heard this phrase, silence is violence. And how does that mesh with your position about being non-political? Um, how, how have you guys dealt with that? Well, I, we can preach against racism and live against racism all day long. And I believe at North Coast, we've done that from the beginning and still continue to. But just because someone uh, screams on social media, uh, silence is violence, doesn't mean I've got to do what they say. In fact, I pretty much guarantee you, anytime you start looking up the people who are most screaming at you for whatever issue, um, most of them don't even attend your church. Those that do don't serve anywhere or give anywhere or whatever. They, they just want to co-op you for their cause. And at that point, I've got to have thick enough skin that I'm willing to be misunderstood to do the right thing. Uh, because we live in a culture, what we, we've tended to forget, all of us, is that we live in a culture of echo chambers. And, and humans have always lived in echo chambers, but they used to be by geography. And that's why a pastor from the Deep South would have a hard time succeeding in the Northeast. Uh, and geography used to define a worldview, and we thought everybody had it till we got outside of geography. Uh, now media defines our worldview, and we live in these little tribal echo chambers, but we might be right next door to one another. But we're just as blind to the fact that people with a brain and morality could see the world differently than we see it. And so what happens a lot of times to us as leaders is, is we step forward and we say something that we go, well, What's wrong with that? Everybody would agree with it because we too live in an echo chamber. And then suddenly like, oh my gosh, uh, a few elections ago, how many of you guys, I can see a lot of you on the screen, uh, guys and gals remember uh, Glenn Beck. Uh, okay. Uh, and well, I did not know this at the time because I wasn't watching those shows. Uh, and uh, I was preaching through the Minor Prophets, and uh, I talked about how the Bible says X number of things about homosexuality, which was on the California ballot then. But it says over 380 or whatever the number was times about social justice. And oh, my gosh, you must have the response was like I'd said. And by the way, Jesus ain't coming back. Uh and, and what I realized is Glenn Beck had been pounding over and over that social justice is code word for socialism, even saying, if you ever hear your spiritual leaders say that, run, don't walk out of your church. So I use a totally biblical word, and I have from that crowd in our church this just horrendous response. And I had no idea because in my echo chamber, I didn't hear that. Mm. Uh, uh, another two other quick examples to help. Uh, I, I learned some of the power of watching your words, and it's not just whether they're true, but how they're understood. When I was a youth pastor, uh, it was the second largest, now they're called Converge, Baptist General Conference Church in the country at that point. And the guy before me had been fired because he'd whittled the youth group down to a handful of people. What I didn't know is he called it a band of men. He'd poured into 12 guys and was using the discipleship phrase over and over, going deep. So I wanted a little money in my budget for some a discipleship program I was going to start. I got turned down flat. 
Then I found out the history of it. Two months later, I requested money for VM, uh, uh, VMTP. What's that? Vocational Ministry Training Program. And I got double what I asked for. Hmm. Like, hello. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it, it's words. And I think of another time where uh, in, in uh, Western European culture, if you lean back, put your feet up on a desk while you're talking to somebody, it says, hey, we're in this together. It removes formality. I remember the first time I did that to a guy from Thailand. I might as well have been flipping him off the whole time. I I had no idea. In that culture, the bottom of the feet is about the worst thing you should show somebody. And and that's what's happening when you and I get silence is violence. So we try to say this. We try to say that. We try to each time we say something, all we do is lose. Yeah. And I think what the theme that keeps recurring here that I I see you coming back to is the issue of leadership. And that requires courage on our part, especially now, because you're going to hear these voices are very loud. And I think if we're honest, they are intimidating to a lot of us as pastors because we we like, hey, I, I just want to tell you the good news. I'm not your enemy here. But if you don't say this or say that and if you don't say it exactly the way they want you to say it on both the left and the right, you've somehow put yourself in the other camp. Right. Yeah, and if you have any empathy, you care about how these people that you care for feel. Uh, and But again, you have no idea of the consequences when you suddenly do it. And they don't either. That's why they're pushing you. They're mm-hmm. not jerks. They're not trying to bring you down. They're living in light of what they read and what they hear. Guess what? Shapes their viewpoint. Yeah. So so we've got some questions, too, just that are just, I think, specific. Um, for example, uh, and this, some of this might be easy to, to answer, but like endorsing candidates. I mean, obviously, you don't do that. Um, <laughs> we have three mayors that go to uh, North Coast Church and we don't endorse. No. Right. So that's just you would say, don't even get near that. Don't do that. Um, do you so you don't ever bring him up on the stage and see, do you do anything like that at all? You just leave it alone. Never. OK, never. OK, never. There you go. Uh-huh. And you don't need to do that. No. And if they want to go somewhere else because I won't do that, then I know why they're going to North Coast Church. Well, there you go. Yeah. So. Yeah, no, that's good. Um, here's another question. Uh, how do you answer your adult child when they say, if I become a Christian, do I have to become a Republican? <laughs> I would just simply say no. Uh, again, that's, that's a pure echo chamber thing. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, let's. Uh, this is being recorded, so I don't like that part of it. Let me watch my words carefully. But, um, you know, people are going to have two different viewpoints. And uh, whatever your viewpoint is, who's ever listening to this live now or later, you'll go, well, of course, and you assume everybody holds yours. But in this particular election cycle, people are making often a choice between character and policies when it comes to uh, that particular conversation. And uh, what's happening is a lot of people under 40, uh, and especially 35, uh, go, it's hypocritical to choose policy over character. And a lot of people older go, no, I'll hold my nose and, and choose policy when they're on the Republican side. Mm-hmm. When they're on the Democratic side, there's this tendency not to even imagine that anybody who's not, a, you know, you've, we've all heard the language, you know, racist pig or whatever. So you, you get both sides where people just flat out don't understand that uh, people are making nuanced decisions. Uh, and so at, at the end of the day, I don't think all of my, here's what I'm super pleased with. Bless you, Jesus. All three of my kids love Jesus and are walking with him and serving him for free. So they're in the marketplace serving Jesus, not because they're paid like their old man is. Uh, I couldn't be more proud of where they are in their walk with God, but they're not all going to vote the same way I vote. Hmm. And, and you- guess what? Matthew, the tax collector, Simon, the zealot, they're supposed to room together because Jesus is bigger. Yeah, see that again, going back to that example, that concept is so important because it it frames the issue properly for us. And then, like you said, we have to drip it in little by little. We don't sit there. So did, let me ask you again. The kingdom just, will not disappear if the wrong side wins, whoever you think the wrong side is. Yeah. You know, it's, it's Jesus said, I'm going to build my church. And he didn't say hunker down and hell storms won't kill you. He said the gates 
of hell can't hold us back. And I, th- I think that's the message, again, that it's that recruiter mindset, but it's spoken prophetically in a sense. It's kind of like what, because it, it does require, you have to be able to see clearly through that to be able to instruct properly without taking this side or that side, but say, this is the, this is the angle we should take on this. So for example, hey guys, whoever wins, we're going to be okay. Yeah. And, and Tim, part of it, too, is people make the confusion because you will not let the church be co-opt mm-hmm. that you don't have a viewpoint. People would be very surprised at how strongly political I am personally. But the moment I stepped forward and said Jesus and chose, I, originally I, I wanted to get a law degree before I, I came to Jesus, and who knows, I might have gone into something like that. Uh but the moment I stepped forward and said, no, I'm going to be an ambassador for the king, it's not about what I feel. It's not about what I think. It's what the king wants. How do I advance his agenda, which was he came to lay down his life for his enemies. So um, it's not that you don't have a viewpoint. It's that you have a role. And uh, uh, yes. I, I, never, I never want to cause my viewpoint or my passions to get in the way of my role. See, and it's funny because that's one of the questions I was going to ask you. Does North Coast Church know if Larry Osborne is a Democrat or a Republican? <laughs> Chris Brown and I get notes from both sides. Uh, I had a handyman over doing some work at my house, and he pulled me aside, and he goes, hey, I just got to know. And he was listening to, uh, I think it was Rush Limbaugh or whatever the whole time he's working. He says, my wife says you're a Democrat. I say you're a Republican. And I smile and I say, I'm doing a good job. <laughs> and Chris Brown would be the same, same way. Yeah, because you, you're you saying, and I so, I'm so glad you said that, because it's not that you don't care. You do care. And and a guy like you, who's, who's obviously written a bunch and has an opinion on a lot of things, is not just going to be uh, completely uh, neutral when it comes to politics, but you've chosen, in a sense, to surrender your platform in that I not only have a view. I have a viewpoint on everything, anybody who knows me. Uh, and uh, on top of that, I'm a Bible guy, unapologetic. So I got a Bible verse for everything, even if it's out of context. <laughs> so you add those two things, man. I, I, I could go at it all day long if you want to have a discussion. But uh, I, I've got a role. By role, I mean assignment. Uh, and so as long as he has me in that assignment, I want to be faithful to it. Yeah, and it's that it's that filter or it's that priority that allows you then to filter those the things out that you you believe strongly, but you say I can't, if I go this road, I'm going to lose the more important calling. Yeah, yeah, and again, if you're really teaching your people biblical principles, they are going to move in the direction that all the hyper political people want them to move anyway. Right, but how how does Scripture say we get a transformed life by a renewed mind? Mm-hmm. So just drip it in, drip it in, teach, teach. You know, uh, pe- people can start at a racist. They can't hang into the Bible very long until they see all people made in the image of God. Well, and and Ryan Kwan uh, grabbed onto that one liner you dropped. You got a Bible verse for everything, even if it's out of context. So that's that'll be uh, that'll be on a T-shirt somewhere. It'll be that's it. It's great, though. It's it's but that's honest. and I love that. So but given that, though, this is what I want to ask you now, Um, by the way, because you wrote a book a while ago called Innovation's Dirty Little Secret. That's now called this. It's called Sticky Leader, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, it was a crossover book for both business and Christian leaders. But Christian leaders don't buy twenty dollar hardcovers. So they changed the name in 10 sentences. Well, there you go. So, yeah, but but in it, you 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 talk about innovators, and you say that they have a special kind of insight, a unique form of courage, and extraordinary flexibility. And I I, I love that because I think that really is what's required right now. And so, on the issue of insight, you're you're somebody that's been able to kind of see where you know, kind of see the future. Um, maybe better than others. Where, where do you see, I'm not going to ask you, obviously, who's going to win. That's a ridiculous question. But where do you see this going? Should we as pastors and church leaders be prepared for this type of, of uh, challenge in terms of the division and battling these kinds of things? Or how, where, just where do you see all this going? 
Well, um, one of the little conference talks I give is we're not in Kansas anymore. I've been giving it about eight, nine years, maybe. Uh, and uh, in that, I pointed out something that still continues today, and that is the echo chambers are creating greater and greater animosity and inability to understand one another. Uh, there are no news channels anymore, and there won't be going forward. There's only opinion. People do not listen for information. They listen for affirmation. You can tell that on all the social media, all the links are, hey, here's something that proves my point even better than I could have said it. Uh, and so we need to be prepared going forward in ministry that uh, we are going to become more and more a segmented culture. Uh, one of the applications of that is we need to work uh, better and better with other churches in our community because nobody can reach everybody in a non-monolithic culture. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, uh, you know, working together with churches is not having a combined Easter service where everybody sublimates who they are some work day. Working together means we make a vow to never speak poorly of a brother or sister in Christ, even if we disagree with them on something. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, uh, at North Coast, we've done a good job of working with others. I've tried to do for, oh, geez, I don't know how many years now, uh, 15 or so. There's about 50 San Diego pastors of all different stripes that every six weeks we meet together. I have a whiteboard. What do you want to talk about? How can I help? Uh, and we need those kind of things going forward, no matter how the election goes, because the culture will continue to be as divided. If Trump wins, uh, I guarantee the left isn't suddenly going to go, OK, uh, we were wrong and overly harsh on him. Uh, if Biden wins, uh, the right is not going to go, OK, that's the will of the people. It's just not going to happen. Mm -hmm. uh, but, hey, we're privileged. This is where he's put us. I, I, Everybody wants to talk about being a servant leader until they're treated like a servant. Mm -hmm. Everybody wants to preach that hardship comes with following Jesus until hardship comes. Uh, and I, I just look at it as when you're Abraham, enjoy the blessings. When you're Job, embrace the hardship. It's it's his, it's his kingdom. Well, yeah. uh, and if we can just remember that, you know, it'll be okay. But I think the division where I was going with this is the division is going to continue. And uh, Christian convictions are going to become hate speech. You know, they've already become that. It's once I've always felt a culture shifts once the artist and and uh, uh, academia uh, walk hand in hand on a cultural viewpoint. That cultural viewpoint is one. Wow! And so it's only a bad. You can look back throughout history. Okay, when those two things. Uh, the the and I we, today I call the third one the media whatever is popular whoever people look up to when those things march hand in hand the battle's over uh, and so okay we need to start taking our cues from people who have survived and advanced the kingdom of God in those environments. Mm -hmm. Well, and that's I think, and just to put a plug in for for our tribe and and I so appreciate all you've done for for us as evangelical free but we have a big tent and we need to. Some, there's some in our tent sometimes who don't realize how big our tent is and actually how important it is that we keep it that way, that we agree on Jesus, but with our our context, our, our our various areas of ministry that we're in, we need we need everybody. We need we need if you if you believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ and, and the inerrancy of scripture and the, the importance and the urgency, we have got to we need people of all stripes underneath that to be able to get this job done. Um, and, and I think that's really important. Actually, one thing real quick, too, and I want to because we only got a few more minutes left with you. And I so appreciate the time you've given us because um, this is another just a quick question on um, the issue. Again, this is like so many of these political issues, the issue of abortion. If you teach in the word, eventually, if you're, if you're being faithful, this is a question Daniel's asking. If you're being faithful to the scripture, eventually that's going to come up. Do you talk about that? How do you talk about it? And um, give us some advice on that. We. You know, uh, again, remember my beginning thing where in the body of Christ, we're all different. OK, but at North Coast, we work through books of the Bible uh, and we'll have little breaks where we do something topical. We're on week 30 something in Acts right now and only on Acts 15 or you know, 14, actually. Um, and so, you know, the what, what we do is we deal with whatever is in the in the, the passage. There's nothing that's off limits. 
Because, see, here's the thing we forget about seekers, if you put on the recruiting line. And I, I'm not part of the seeker movement. That's not my background, whatever. But I'm going to use that phrase, somebody who's spiritually interested, okay? Uh, the thing we often forgot about seekers, those who were in that movement, is they kept holding things back because they wanted to reach people. And I would always say, wait a minute, a seeker is seeking. You don't have to hold anything back. Anytime I've ever tried to learn a new subject or about a new thing, uh, I, I wanted the four dummies version with plain words and simplicity, but I didn't want you to hold back a chapter. And, and so to reach lost people, you don't have to hold back the gospel. You just can't speak as if everybody holds their current viewpoint is an idiot and going to hell and, uh, you know, has never had a positive thought in their brain, et cetera. So we, we just teach on, on life and, and uh, sexuality, whatever, what's in the passage. Yeah. So you have no problem talking about abortion. You, but There's you, nothing we wouldn't talk about in the passage. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and if it's not in the passage and you're telling me I need to preach about it more, then you're telling me I need to preach the newspaper, not the Bible. Mm. So but you, you want my church to turn into a, a TED Talk? <laughs> hey, tune into us for, you know, TED Talk of all the important issues of the day, and we'll kind of give you a biblically biased viewpoint. I go, no, I actually want to teach the Bible. Yeah. So does Chris Brown, so does Christopher Hilkin. Yeah. And so so when the artist and the academic come together, and then that is um, added then by the media, which makes that kind of trifecta, you're saying that... I call Yeah, I call it heroes. And in this day, the media has the voice. I'm saying at that point, the issue's over. Yeah. And so we we become more marginalized whether it's mm -hmm. abortion or anything else. Whatever the issue is. And guess what? There are places where the gospel goes forward despite opposition. We keep thinking if we lose housing allowance, the kingdom of God is over. Like, I'm really glad we got housing allowance. I'm glad our property has a tax exemption. I'm glad that uh, I, we have a First Amendment. But none of those things are crucial to the gospel. You know, and the moment I think these things are crucial to the gospel, I will fight for them the same way I would fight for the gospel. Uh, yeah, but, and we do, obviously we they're different, but we, I think it's you know when I asked you earlier where does politics fit in the church, but then we have to ask where does church fit where does the church fit in politics because we wouldn't even have some of these things if it wasn't for the influence that we have. Yeah. Let, let me go back to a favorite story of mine. I use more one-on-one -on -one with, with people. It's from C.S. Lewis in the uh, Screw Tape Letters. And the senior demon is trying to tell the junior demon how to mess up the guy who he's already lost on because the guy became a Christian. And, and so he says, it doesn't matter whether you make him a militarist or a pacifist. Just get him to go one way or the other. It doesn't matter. Mm. And we read that and we don't get what's going on. Here's what was going on when C.S. Lewis wrote that. Hitler. Hitler. Mm -hmm. And and Lewis's observation is this. He says, just get him go one way or the other. And if you can get him to think that it's an important part of his religion, you've won. Because it's a small nudge to get him to think it's the most important part of his religion, and a tiny nudge to get him to think it's more important than his religion. Mm -hmm. I want to tell you, I have watched that over and over in my decades of ministry. It's just, it's always a different issue. But that's that's why at North Coast we currently refuse. And back in in my days of making all the calls, it's like no way. Uh, I'm I'm not. I I understand it's important, but when it comes to the church, Jesus is important. Yeah. And I'm I'm tired of people who vote the right way and treat their spouse like a piece of trash, mm -hmm. selfish pigs. You know, all all the fruit of the flesh in their day to day life. But thank God likes them because the bumper sticker on their car. Yeah. No, and you know what? And that's a perfect place, I think, for us to to call it. And um, you're, you're exactly right. Again, I want to go back to those things that you wrote, a special kind of insight, a unique form of courage and extraordinary flexibility. And I just, I feel like that is what is required of us now. And I think you've given us so much to, to think about. And I think you've really helped in, uh, empower us and give us, you know, you, your words help encourage us and make us braver when it comes to confronting these issues. Because, you know, you guys, you, you're not alone. All, all of us on the call, you're not doing this alone. Everyone's going through this right now at every level. 
And uh, so I really appreciate it. And Larry, man, I, I, I so appreciate you and your ministry and uh, all that you've done for, for our denomination, for our district, and for the area of, of uh, North San Diego where you are. And you've just been a great mentor to so many of us. So thank you. Oh, thank you. It's been a privilege to be with you guys. And uh, as we just just so you know, we um, we have recorded this. It'll be available. Um, we'll, we'll send you the link soon. Uh, you'll be able to see this on YouTube, on our YouTube channel. You can watch it and then we'll also put it um, as an episode on our podcast as well. Please share. Uh, please let other people know about it. And uh, we'll just we're going we're gonna to get through this and uh, we're going to be stronger at the end. So again, thank you very much. Thanks again, Larry, and God bless to all of you.